As they're taking up the offering, I'd like to go ahead and read the passage that we're going to be studying today. So if you um, open up your program, you'll see this, that teaching outline, if I can get it out, right here. And the scripture that I'm going to be reading is right on the front. It's also continued on the back. So we've been doing a series about Daniel for the last couple weeks, and I'm going to read um, a pretty famous story about Daniel and the lion's den. And just so you know, Darius is the king at this time. So when it refers to Darius, he's the king over the area. So I'm going to read, and you can follow along in your program insert. Darius thought it would be a good idea to choose 120 governors who would rule his kingdom. He chose three men as supervisors over those governors, and Daniel was one of the supervisors. The supervisors were to ensure that the governors did not try to cheat the king. Daniel showed that he could... He could do the work better than other supervisors and governors, so the king planned to put Daniel in charge of the whole kingdom. Because of this, the other supervisors and governors tried to find reasons to accuse Daniel about his work in the government. But they couldn't find anything wrong with him or any reason to accuse him because he was trustworthy and not lazy or dishonest. Finally, these men said, We will never find any reason to accuse Daniel unless it is about the law of his God. So the supervisors and governors went, to the, went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The supervisors, assistant governors, governors, and the people who advise you, and the captains of the soldiers, have all agreed that you should make a new law for everyone to obey. For the next 30 days, no one should pray to any god or human except you, O king. Anyone who doesn't obey will be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, make, this, make the law and sign your name to it so that it cannot be changed, because when it is, then it will be law as the Medes and Persians and cannot be canceled. So King Darius signed the law. Even though Daniel knew that the new law had been written, he went to pray in an upstairs room in his house, which had, which had windows that opened towards Jerusalem. Three times each day, Daniel would kneel down to pray and thank God, just as he had always done. Then those men who went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and talked to him about the law he had made. They said, didn't you sign a law that says no one, no man can pray to a god or or human except you, O king? Doesn't it say that anyone who disobeys during the next 30 days will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, yes, that is the law. And the law of Medes and Persians cannot be canceled. Then they said to the king, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is not paying attention to you, O king, or to the law you signed. Daniel still prays to his God three times every day. The king became very upset when he heard this. He wanted to save Daniel, and he worked hard until sunset, trying to think of a way to save him. Then those men went as a group to the king. They said, Remember, O king, the law of Medes and Persians says that no law or command given by the king can be changed. So King Darius gave the order, and Daniel was brought in and thrown into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May the God you serve all the time deliver you. A a big stone was brought and placed over the opening of the lion's den. Then the king used his signet ring and the ring of the royal officers to put special seals on the rock. This ensured that no one would move the rock and bring Daniel out. Then King Darius went back to the palace. He did not eat that night, he did not have any entertainment brought to him, and he could not sleep. The next morning, King Darius got up at dawn and hurried to the lion's den. As he came near the den, he was worried. He called out to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God that you always worship been able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angels to close the lion's mouth. They have not hurt me because my God knows I am innocent. I never did anything wrong to you, O king. 
King Darius was very happy and told his ser- servants to lift Daniel out of the lion's den. So they lifted him out and did not find any injury on him because Daniel was trusted in his God. Then the king commanded that the men who had accused Daniel be brought to the lion's den. They, their wives, and their children were thrown into the den. The lions grabbed them up before they hit the, floor, hit the floor of the den and crushed their bones. I am making a new law for people in every part of my kingdom. Oh, I'm sorry. I skipped a verse. Then King Darius wrote a letter to all people and all nations to those who spoke every language in the world. I wish you great peace and wealth. I am making a new law for people in every part of my kingdom. All of you must fear and respect the God of Daniel. Daniel's God is the living God. He lives forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. God rescues and saves his people and does mighty miracles in heaven and on earth. He is the one who saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel was successful during the time of Darius, during the time Darius was king, and when Cyprus the Persian was king. Thank you, Emily. I had her read it because that was a lot of reading. So uh, she did very well. Well, a few weeks ago, my uh, two-year-old daughter, Jordan, and I were watching her favorite sport to watch on television, golf. And uh, while we were watching uh, golf, we were watching the British Open. And if you remember anything about uh, the British Open, you'll know that Tiger, 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 Tiger Woods, y'all, didn't do very much during that time. In fact, he was in trouble. Now, Tiger is uh, undoubtedly the greatest golfer of our time, maybe the greatest golfer of uh, all time eventually. But on that particular day, he was in trouble. And so my two-year-old Jordan and I were cuddling up on the couch, and Tiger just shanked the shot, and they went to, uh, you know, a commercial. And I looked to her and I said, boy, Tiger is in trouble. And about that time, a commercial came on by Traveler's uh, uh, Insurance, and I'd like you to take a look at it. Here it is. to things you care about. Leave nothing to chance. Travelers, insurance for auto, home, and business. Well, since the first time that Jordan and I have watched that commercial, I hate to say it, but we've watched it at least 50 times since then. And it's where she first learned the word trouble. And the commercial's pretty funny, and uh, just to give us a sense of uh, a little laughter this morning... But I think what it does is it sheds some light on the issue of protecting your self-interest. The dog goes to a great length to protect his bone. He takes it away and hides it from the owner. 
And then he hides it away from the cat. And he doesn't want uh, the dog to get it. And he doesn't even want the bank to get it. He doesn't trust anyone else. He is only concerned with protecting his own self-interest, his bone. In our scripture this morning that Emily read, we're introduced to the third king in Daniel's story up to this point, King Darius. And early on, we learn that he is interested only in himself. He is interested in his own self-interest, his kingdom, his bone. When he comes to power, the first thing that he does is he reorganizes the entire kingdom. He sets up 120 people who will be governors over all that he owns. And three will be supervisors. And in doing this, we learn that in verse 2, exactly why he does it. In verse 2 it says this, The supervisors were to ensure that the governors did not try to cheat the king. In other words, King Darius was concerned and troubled and he was worried about his own stuff. And he was worried that the governors were going to cheat him and he might suffer some type of loss. And so what he does is he collects these three men who will have oversight of all of these governors. And right here in the very uh, second verse we learn something about the king's character. The whole reason that he is reorganizing the kingdom is not because he's concerned about justice and fairness for the people. He's not doing it for the benefit of the people. He's not doing it to try to fight off corruption. The reason that he reorganizes is for his own benefit, to protect his assets. The guy is greedy, He is interested only in his self-interest, and he has an ego that is bigger than his palace. Now, one of the three people who oversee everything in his kingdom is this guy named Daniel, who we've been talking about all summer. And Daniel has distinguished himself above everyone else. I mean, he is a person who is always truthful, who always says and does the right thing. And so naturally, King Darius comes and says, well, I want you to be at my right-hand side. I want you to be my second man in control of the kingdom. And he chooses him to take over the entire kingdom in case he leaves. He wants him to have that kind of authority. But what happens when people kind of go up on a pedestal? People like to tear them down. And the other 122 Governors and supervisors become very jealous. They decide, Daniel, you got to get out of here. you got to go. You've got to be destroyed. And they try to find fault with him. But the Bible says that Daniel was always faithful. There was no negligence in anything that he did. No corruption, no, no, uh, you know, no kind of badness within his life. He just governed truthfully and with fairness. So these other politicians kind of get together and they go, now how are we going to bring him down? And they said the only way that we can bring him down is if we go to his faith commitments. They go to the king and they say, oh, King Darius, live forever. So they're kind of, you know, building him up. 
They're like, we adore you, we praise you, you're a great man, Darius. And this is what we have. We've come up with a great idea. You're such a wonderful guy that what we should do is forbid every other person in the kingdom for the next month from praying to their gods. That everyone should pray to you because you're a god. You're going to be a god for 30 days. Now, that's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, if you're a god, you're a god forever. You don't get like, you know, a, a god card for 30 days and, oh, I'll see how I do. God for a month is basically what they gave him. Here, we're going to let you be God for a month. Well, it flatters him so much, though, that he's like, man, this is going to be wonderful. They're all going to be praying to me. And in verse 9, it says this, So King Darius signed that into law. He didn't think about it. He just signed it away. And the king, who is a person who is greedy, now gives into his vanity. He's vain. And his vanity creates stupidity, and eventually his stupidity creates trouble for him in a way that we'll see in just a second. Now Daniel learns about all of this. He knows the decree, he knows the law, but he continues to go up to his house every single day. He opens up the window in the upstairs, and he gets on his knees, and he prays three times to God. He praises Him just like he had always done. Now at this point, this guy named Daniel is either one of two things. Either he's bold and courageous, or he's foolish and he's stupid. Because why would you keep doing something that the king told you not to do? Well, I think we'll learn that he's bold and courageous. I think the reason that he chose to go up into his house, he could have left the windows closed, that way no one could see it, but he opened it up because he knew... That in a world of idolatry where everyone has their own God and something else, that he wasn't going to fall prey to that. So every single day, he said, I will pray three times a day to God. He decides to protest against the decree. As he's praying, the leaders, the other 122 of them, get their video surveillance cameras out. And they get the tape recordings, and they have evidence now that Daniel has not been praying to the king. The Bible says this, Then those men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and talked to him about the law that he had made. They said, Didn't you sign a law that says no one may pray to any god or human being except you, O king? Doesn't it say that anyone who disobeys you during the next 30 days will be thrown into the lion's den? They're like, Hey, king, you said no one else could pray to any other God except to you. But now, Daniel's doing it. He's praying to his own God. He is ignoring you. He's dissing you. So the king says, okay, and they say, come on, king, you got to stick to your word. You know, you got to have your word. It's time for the lions to devour. Well, the king becomes very freaked out because he knows out of all these 123, only Daniel is the one who is honest. And so he kind of becomes a wimp. You know any politicians who are wimps? Don't mention their names this morning, okay? But they're a wimp. See, look, we already got all of them. Oh, okay. That's a good one. I mean, what type of person, if they're a god, 
can't make exceptions. I mean, if you're a god, but the problem is, folks, the king really wasn't a god. He was just as egocentric and greedy and stupid as every other person that was in his kingdom. He was just a little stupid wimp. Now he goes and he tries a lot of different ways to get Daniel from going into the lion's den, but eventually he just can't do anything more because he's held by his signature. It'd be like President Obama putting something into law and then the next day, oh, you know, I better take that back. So rather than making an exception, he saves space. And he says, I never make mistakes. Throw him into the lion's den. And as Daniel's kind of bouncing by him, the king says, May the God you serve all the time deliver you. You see, the problem was the king perceived that the relationship that Daniel and God had together was kind of like a trade. A commercial trade. You do this for me, I'll do that for you. I want you to know that the relationship with God is not based upon trade. It's based upon trust. Our trust fully in Him, regardless of what happens in our life. Now, at this point in the story, it's not looking very good for Daniel. I mean, the dude is heading towards the lion's den. I mean, I get to a zoo sometimes, and they just roar, and I freak out, you know, and they're across the way. And now he is heading for his life's death. And the king realizes that he's not much of a god. Deep down, he knows that he is just as mediocre as every other person in his kingdom. But he's afraid of the real God. Because he's seen Daniel's God react when people are against him. And so he's fearful. So the king went to the palace and he spent the night fasting. I mean, the whole night he doesn't eat any food whatsoever. Don't you feel sorry for him? Poor king. Poor little king's not going to get his royal feast tonight. Poor little guy. Don't you? Don't you feel sorry for the king in the story? I mean, I do. I mean, the whole night he's not going to be able to eat. No snack. No dessert. No midnight little run to the refrigerator, you know? Nothing. King doesn't get anything. I was reading a study this week that it says you shouldn't eat after 8 o'clock anyways. Anyone ever eat after 8 o'clock? You don't have to. I know. Everybody's hands will be up. You know why? Because when you start getting tired, your metabolism slows down. And guess where the fat goes? Right here. Some of you are good candidates for this study, I think. No, I'm joking. However, it said in that same article that chocolate wasn't a problem. Dark chocolate. You know why they call it dark chocolate? Because you eat it in the dark. No one knows then, right? No, it didn't say to eat chocolate, okay? Some of you are going home tonight. He said, eat chocolate. That's why he told me. God, you know? No. So King Darius, he goes to bed hungry. And to top it all off, now he can't even sleep. He's tossing and turning. He's tossing and turning all night long. And finally, he just can't stay in his bed anymore. And he sees a little bit of daylight and he jumps up. And the scripture tells us that he hurried, that he ran to the lion's den. Now, when you are a king, 
you don't hurry anywhere. You just kind of walk. And people are doing every single thing for you. But he hurries. He runs. He beelines it to the lion's den. Because the reality is, folks, his faith in God is dependent upon Daniel. The Bible says this, As the king came near the den, he was worried. He called out to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God that you always worship been able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. Now you know at this point, I know that Daniel is a righteous man. He's a good man. Because if it were me, and I was in the lion's den, I wouldn't be saying, Oh, king, live for eternity. I'd say, Hey, you jerk, drop dead. You know? But not Daniel. Daniel's righteous. He walks right out of it and he says, Oh, king, live forever. Daniel gives an explanation of exactly what happened. And the king was so relieved and excited. In verse 23 it says, So they lifted him up, and they lifted him out, and did not find any injury on him, because Daniel had trusted in his God. Friends, like I said earlier, a relationship with God is not based upon trade. It's based upon trust. And Daniel, even going into the midst of the lion's den, he trusted in God. He trusted that God's goodness and grace would somehow provide. He realizes that there is nothing that he brings to God that is worth anything, but that God brings everything into our lives. Well, the story ends by the king no longer being a wimp. He gets real macho. The Bible says this, Then the king commanded that the men who had accused Daniel be brought to the lion's den. They, their wives, and their children were thrown into the lion's den. The lions grabbed them before they hit the floor of the den and crushed their bones. The king kills 400 to 500 people all in one fell swoop because he's macho. He wants to let them know. He picks on little uh, wives and children. He's so big. You think he's still got an ego problem? Yeah. But he gets one thing right. And it's the next lesson in the verse in which he proclaims to the people this, I wish you great peace and wealth. Remember at the beginning of the story, it was all about self-interest. His kingdom, his bone, his assets, his own doggy bone. But this time, he wants everyone to have prosperity. Then he gives a new law, a new decree that everyone must turn and serve Daniel's God. Because he's the only true and living God. The story ends the rest of his life. The Scripture says Daniel goes on to live in prosperity and success. So the question is, great story, I like it, but uh, what's the lesson? Here's a couple. A lesson from Daniel's life, Daniel's world, I mean, our world, and a lesson from the Christian world. First, humans are at the center of Daniel's world. Humans are at the center of Daniel's world. Our world, humans, tend to be at the center. In Daniel's world, King Darius was the center of his universe. In Daniel's world, the other 122 political people, the center of their world was themselves. And folks, 
You have a choice every single day who's going to be the center of your world. And it's either you or it's God. The greatest temptation since Adam and Eve is that people have always wanted to be their own God. I want to be my own God to do what I want, when I want, where I want. But the worldview that is the Christian worldview is this. It is not humans at the center, but it is God at the center. In the Christian world, God is not only the Creator, but He is the one who gives us life and breath. The very reason why we exist is to honor and please God in all we say, in all we do, in all things. And yet the tension, and I'm very well aware of this, the tension between having human beings at the center or God at the center is very difficult. It's extremely difficult. It's the hardest thing that we ever experience as people who are trying to follow God. So today, I just want to ask you a question, and it's this. What is the center of your life? Because it makes a huge difference on what your world perspective is, on who is at the center. Here's the second lesson we learn from Daniel's world. It's this. In Daniel's world, in our world, religion is the distinctive. But in the Christian world, relationship is the distinctive. In Daniel's world, in our world, religion is the distinctive. In Daniel's world, relationship is the distinctive. Now let me explain. In Daniel's world, there were hundreds of gods. Multiple religions all around them. There was a moon god, a sun god, a star god, a god like this would be a god. Manhasset. Oh, Manhasset, okay? And in his world, they would find objects and they would just worship that object. Whatever it was, that's what they would worship. Sticks, stones, rocks, statues, they just worship those things. Now, I was thinking about it this week that many of us would be like, man, we don't do that today. Yeah, we do. You know what we call it? Call it our house, our car, our money, our 401k plan, our jobs, and on and on and on. And the problem is, is that we worship the creations and we don't worship the Creator. And religion does that. It focuses on creations, not the Creator. King Darius even tried his own religion, right? He had everyone pray to him. But religion, even at its best, is not enough. Because religion, void of relationship, is useless. That's why in the Christian world, it is not about religion, it's about relationship. Not a relationship with some distant God, not a relationship with a stick or a stone or a rock or a statue or Manhasset or whatever it is, but in the Christian world, it's about a relationship with a personal God who came in flesh named Jesus Christ. We have historical evidence of He came. He existed. He was real. He went through everything that we went through. And in the Christian world, in Christianity, the guiding central factor is the law of love takes precedence over everything else. Now, in Daniel's day, for a good Jew, the distinction was a religious one. 
For Daniel, it meant keep your nose clean. You know, remain righteous. Do the religious duties. That's why three times a day he was praying to God. It's not a bad thing. It's good. Those things are a part of the Christian faith. But finally, when Jesus came to earth, he said, that's not enough. What I want is a relationship, a personal relationship. And it all focuses on one law, the law of love. When Jesus said, love your neighbor. In fact, the Bible says this, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you know how people know whether you are in a religion or a relationship? It's by how you love. This week, people will know whether you're a follower of Christ, whether you have a relationship with Him for no other reason, not because you read your Bible or you came to church today or you put money in, but they'll know it because of the way that you love other people. Well, those are a couple of lessons, but you know, what about us, Punch? Good story, good couple lessons, but what am I going to do practically with my life starting when I leave from this place to know that when lions are around me and they're devouring me, what in the heck do I do? Because the ultimate drama of this whole passage of Scripture is Daniel in the lion's den. He faced the lion face to face, but we face lions all the time, right? Some of our lions that you are struggling with today, some of you, are lions that are within It's addiction, it's guilt, it's hurt or pain from the past, and somehow it just gnaws at your soul every single day, and bit by bit, the lion is devouring you. For others of you, you are battling some type of sickness or illness or disease, and that's your lion. It's affecting your body. Maybe it's cancer, maybe it's depression, maybe it's some other type of illness, but each day you feel devoured. And still there are other lions that you're battling with, which I have a feeling all of us in some way are, and it's with relationships with people around us. You've been used, abused, misused by different people in your life, and you are experiencing a sense of hatred and rejection and abandonment from them, and all you can think in your mind is get even, revenge, bitterness, anger. I'll sit in my envy. Folks, all of us in this place, you're currently facing a lion right now that is devouring you. You have in the past, or I guarantee you will in the future. So what do we learn? When lions are devouring, what do you need to know? What do you need to remember? The first thing is this. I am not alone. I'm not alone. We're going to take a little quiz here real quick. I want to know what the, uh, um, the central promise of the Bible is. All of you have been here at least once, so you're experts now, you know. The central promise of the Bible... And I, when I, after I ask, I want you to put your hand up immediately. Don't think too much, okay? All right. Is the central promise of the Bible this, that God will forgive you? Raise your hand. Okay? You're wrong. Wow, today someone's going to say, man, what? you went to church? What did the pastor say? He said I was wrong. Come back to the jar. Oh, good, you know. No, you're wrong. 
It's in the Bible. It's a huge promise. But that's not the central promise. All right, now here's another one. How many of you think the central promise of the Bible is that if you accept Christ, that you'll live eternity in heaven? How many say that's the central promise? Raise your hand. See, some of you are cowards. You're just not raising hands. You know? I know, he's going to give us the answer. That's a huge promise. I'm glad it's there. Because I don't have to live here forever. But that's not the central promise. The central promise of the Bible is this. God says, his promise is, I will be with you. I'll be with you. Now, yeah, a couple of you are raising your hands. Got it now. Before Adam and Eve ever sinned, before forgiveness was ever needed, he promised them that I will be with you. This guy named Moses, if you've ever seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, you know, and they have this scene where uh, the parting of the Red Sea, God gives Moses power to do that, but they're in the wilderness for 40 years, and Moses doesn't get to go to the promised land where everything's great, you know, steak, potatoes, anything that you need. But Joshua is the one that takes them into that. And when they go into the promised land, this is what God says. He says this, Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, Joshua. For the Lord your God will be what? With you. Wherever you go. At the beginning of God's journey with His people, He lets everyone know that God is going to be with them. That He will be with them. He wanted His people to know that I am always with you. Then God Himself said, that's not enough. I want them to know this so well, I'm going to send Myself uh, through My Son in flesh. And God sent Jesus Christ. And Jesus was called Emmanuel. You know what that means? It means God with us. And then Jesus lived, He taught, He died, He rose again. Three days later, had a witness account of 500 people. And just as He ascended to heaven, the last words Jesus ever said was this, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Folks, when you're being devoured by lions, what you need to remember is that God is with you. He doesn't walk away. And the thing is that God does even one more thing than that. He says, not only am I with you, but He says, I am for you. The Bible says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? Any of you know any people that are against you? Yeah. We could list a whole list of people who are against us. Don't do that, okay? But you could think about it. And this is what the Scripture basically says. It says... Whoever is against you, whatever the things are that are against you, God is for you. And that is more than all of those that are against you. In our story today, Daniel is walking into the lion's den. Everything is against him. He's looking for uh, some kind of help. And he goes, I know God's going to be with me. And Christ does. Do you remember? He comes, he kind of closes the mouth by an angel that comes down, closes the mouth of the lions, and they're not able to devour him. When the lions are devouring, remember, you are not alone. God is with you. God is for you. Here's the second thing you need to remember. When you're being devoured by lions, you need to remember that I am commanded to forgive. I am commanded to forgive. The Bible says this, Be gentle and ready to forgive. Never hold grudges. 
Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. On the morning of October 5th, 2006, in Nichols Mines, Pennsylvania, 25 children were studying in a local one-room schoolhouse, a barn-like structure with a simple bell tower and a front porch supported by steel rods. The building, as plain as a notebook paper, reflected the values of the Amish community that educated its children there. The Amish traced their lineage back to the Swiss Christian communities who, during the 16th and 17th centuries, renounced the trappings of worldliness. On that morning, in the midst of the Amish, the worst of the world's madness appeared. At 9.51 a.m., Charles Carl Roberts IV, a 32-year-old milkman, burst into the West Niles, West Nickel Mines Amish schoolhouse and shattered the community's serenity. He had thought about the violence that he was about to perpetuate long in advance, and he came prepared. He carried a 12-gauge shotgun, a 9mm handgun, a bolt-action rifle, about 600 rounds of ammunition, a stun gun, and two knives. He also had tools for building supplies with him. He ordered all the young girls to line up quickly in front of the chalkboard. Then he demanded the teacher, Emma Mae Zook, take her, to take her 15 male students, a pregnant woman, and three mothers with infants outside. Once they were gone, Charles Roberts used the tools and the two-by-sixes and the two-by-four boards he was carrying to barricade himself in. Next, he used flex ties to bind the hands and legs of the young girls who ranged in age from 6 to 13. Evidently, he meant to take his time. He called his wife on the cell phone, confessed in partial the explanation of the suicide notes that he had left, that he had molested two young girls 25 years earlier. The tale seems to be a delusion. He also spoke about the grief of his own infant daughter that he had lost. When the Amish girls asked Roberts why he meant to hurt them, he said he was angry at God. The community responded more quickly than Roberts may have anticipated, and the schoolgirls themselves would alter his plans. Roberts' plan to molest the girls seems to be apparent from the lubricant he was carrying, but their teacher, Emma Mae Zook, ran to the neighborhood farmhouse and called the police at 10.36 a.m. The police arrived in force nine minutes later. From the loudspeakers on the cruisers, they spoke to Roberts. He responded that if the grounds weren't cleared in two seconds, he'd kill everyone. The oldest of the girls, Marion Fisher, spoke up. The Amish speak Swiss German as their mother language, but she used the best English that she could muster. She pleaded, shoot me and leave the other one loose. Marion's 11-year-old sister, Barbie, asked to be next. They demonstrated the greatest love a human possibly could. Unnerved by the girls' courage and the police, Roberts tried to execute all ten girls, pouring bullets into them as fast as he could. At the sound of the gunfire, the police rushed the building with one final blast, 
Roberts committed suicide before they could reach him. Although Roberts shot all ten children at point-blank range, and several of them repeatedly, he was only able to kill five, or he was only able to kill ten of them. Five children survived. He didn't fully exact the revenge on God that he had planned. Marion's sister Barbie was one of them. That's why we have all the details of what happened in that schoolhouse on that day. And Charles Roberts' death seemed sad only in the fact that he was no longer there to be prosecuted. But that's where the story turns in an unexpected direction. The entire Amish community followed young Marion Fisher's lead of sacrifice and love of one's neighbor, while Charles Robert chose sacrifice, or while he chose to unleash his anger on the innocent, the Amish chose to bestow forgiveness on the guilty. And you've seen some of the pictures already. Newsreel footage of the Amish horse and buggy processional tolling along the main road in Nichols Mine, Pennsylvania, on the way to the funerals of the slain children. It was poignant and picturesque scene. But the image that stayed in the imagination were of Amish men and women attending Charles Roberts' funeral in the graveside of his wife's Methodist church. They insisted it was not the place to judge him. Amish leaders even asked their community to refrain from thinking of Roberts as evil. They also reached out to Marie Roberts and her children. They invited the family to attend the girl's funeral. For the Bible says to mourn with those who mourn, and the Roberts family was mourning their own loss. As money poured in, listen to this, as money poured in to address the medical bills of the wounded girls, Amish community leaders stipulated that a fund be set up for the resources to take care of the killer's widow and her three kids. You know, Jesus says some words in the Bible. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And to be honest, folks, I don't know how to do that. When people are my enemies, I want revenge. But Jesus gives us a way. And it's the only way I know that when lions are devouring you and I, that we're called to forgive. Christ's example of love, the whole basis of it that separates it from every single other religion is this, that God loves and forgives even when it hurts. And remember Christ's words when He said this, Your heavenly Father will forgive you if you forgive those who sin against you. But if you refuse to forgive them, He will not forgive you. The amount of forgiveness that God can give to you, folks, is clearly based on how you forgive the people around you. And I would just encourage you today, regardless of what lion it is that has devoured your life, 
Don't leave this place without a plan to say, you know what, I'm going to forgive them. You give it, even if they don't deserve the forgiveness, and let it go. Let God be your just judge. Release the bitterness today and receive God's freedom. Here's the last thing. When lions are devouring, you need to remember this. I know my suffering is not in vain. I know my suffering is not in vain. You know, Jesus, just before he faced his greatest lions, religious leaders, the Roman government, the cross, all of your sin, just think about every sin you've ever committed in your life, all the skeletons, all the pain that's ever caused. He looks at the cross and he sees that. And this is what he said, If the people of this world hate you, just remember that they hated me first. Jesus is just saying, you are going to be devoured by lions. I want you to know that you will, but your suffering is not in vain. One of the greatest gifts of the Christian faith that no other world religion has is this, that suffering is never in vain. God always has a purpose for however we suffer. Sometimes it builds character, sometimes it builds endurance, sometimes it builds patience, but it always builds something in your life. No matter what it is, what the suffering is, it's never wasted with the Christian God. The Bible says this, So my dear brothers and sisters, stand strong. Do not let anything change you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your work in the Lord is never wasted. God never wastes any hurt that you experience. He uses every single hurt that you've ever had in your life to simply draw you closer to Him. So the next time that you're suffering from a lion, just remember that it's not in vain. You know, the ultimate message of this chapter and the book of Daniel is that we have a God who can be trusted. That when the lions are prowling, when you feel devoured, that there is a God filled with infinite love and grace to take care of your needs. So today, whatever your lion is, whatever has been devouring you, remember that you are not alone, that God is for you. But He commands you to forgive whatever lion that is, and that your suffering is not in vain. And this is the greatest promise some of you need to hear today. That in due time, God will deliver. Because He doesn't leave His people in lion's dens. He pulls them out. And He gives them hope. Let's stand for closing prayer. Heavenly Father, You who are bigger and greater than we are. 
we give you thanks and praise this day that you are a God who does not allow us to be alone when the lions are on the attack. And God, I just want to thank you for whatever you did in this place today. I have a feeling that for some of us in this place today, we could name the lion right now. And the reality is, God, we have tried to do everything in our own power and might to get out of the lion's den. And God, maybe today the greatest thing we could do is surrender our lives to you and say, God, you take control. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that people would do that in this place and we would do that as a church. Because what we desire more than anything else is to please you, God. And when the lions are coming, would you please remember, would you please help us to remember that we are not alone and that our suffering is not in vain and that we are commanded to forgive? God, I pray right now a bold prayer that people would make a decision today to put you at the center of their life. And that regardless if they are delivered from the lions that they are experiencing, that they will continue to serve you, just as Daniel did. And God, we thank you for the promise that you do deliver us because you are that good God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. If you like prayer for anything, come on up.